if you have your copy of the Word of God, I want to invite you to open to 1 Peter, uh, 1 Peter chapter number 1. We're in a series called Strangers, that we're strangers in a strange land as followers of Christ. We uh, have a dual citizenship. We have citizenship here on this planet, but we also have uh, citizenship, our ultimate citizenship is in heaven. So Peter is writing to those elect exiles that are dispersed, and so that includes you and me in the year 2021. So here we are. I want to speak to you today on the subject, uh, called to be what we're being called. Called to be what we're being called. This is a rhetorical question, obviously, but what, what do people in your life call you? What do your grandkids call you? What do your kids call you? What do your parents call you? What do your siblings call you? Friends, coworkers, classmates. What do people call you? If you're like me, people in your life may call you by different names. Belle calls me father. Brady calls me daddy. Tanya calls me, well, it's really none of your business what Tanya calls me. <laughs> now is it? <laughs> uh, as an adjunct professor, seminary students call me Dr. Greer. Some call me pastor. Some call me Sam. Some call me PSG, Pastor Sam Greer for short, or PSG short for that. My F3 brothers call me Blindside. Uh, my, our dog Bailey calls me that's what our dog calls me. So people call you different things. Peter, in 1 Peter 1, 13 through 16, is calling out the called to be what we're being called. It'll all make sense as I read the text. So let's look at it together. If you're there, say I'm there. All right, 1 Peter 1, uh, Verse 13, here we go. Therefore, preparing your minds for action and being sober-minded, set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. As obedient children, you hear what Peter just called you? Obedient children. See, in Christ, we are no longer sons and daughters of disobedience. Now we are, in Christ, obedient children. Uh, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance. But as He who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct. Since it is written, you shall be holy, for I am holy. Father, I pray in the name of, of Jesus that today you would help us as we hear these words, as we read these words, as we see these black words written on white pages, help us to understand that these are, these are more than just letters and words, that this is life. And I pray, Father, that through the presence of the Holy Spirit today, that you would teach us, show us life today. Help us repent of our sin today. We ask it in Jesus' name. And God's people said, Amen. Be holy, God says, for I am holy. You know what God's saying in this text? 
God is saying, be like me. That's what God is telling us. This is what he's telling his church. This is what he's telling his obedient children. You be like me. Sometimes we're called the church. That means the called out one. Sometimes we're called followers of Christ. That means we're to follow Christ. Sometimes we're called disciples. Meaning we belong to Jesus. We learn from him. We follow him. We serve him. God is saying be like me. So I've worded the takeaway truth this way. Just be like Jesus. Just be like Jesus. Jesus. And I want to point you to four helps right out of these verses that will help us be like Jesus. Here's the first one. Say why to the world. We need to get to a place where we can question what the world throws at us. Don't just receive it all as truth. You have to say why to the world. Do you recall that you've been called to be the salt of the earth? And the light of the world. You know, light pierces darkness. I don't care how dark the darkness is. One pinpoint of light will pierce the darkest of the darkness. And that's what we're to be. Set apart. Be holy. Be different. Be set apart. Be the light of the world. Be the salt of the earth. Well, here's what we've done as a church, in America anyway. We've taken salt and replaced it with sugar. Because we don't want to offend anybody. Hey, if you're going to follow Jesus, you're going to be offensive, period. So we have to get to the place where we say, why to the world? Here's what happens. This this past week was Earth Day, right? Praise God for this earth, amen? Praise God for His creation. Do you know what God's creation reminds me of every day when the sun rises? The sun rises every day. Have y'all noticed this? It's pretty faithful to rise every day. And that reminds me that our Creator is faithful. Great is His faithfulness. So praise God for the creation. But what we're not called to do, we're not called to worship creation. We're not called to worship Mother Earth. The psalmist says that Mother Earth is a footstool to our Heavenly Father. That's what the psalmist says. So we're not to worship that. So how are we to be in this world, but not of it? Well, Peter helps us here. Look at verse 1. This is what it means when I say, say why to the world. Look what Peter says. Prepare your minds for action. Bind up your minds. Have a healthy, disciplined mind. Don't be intellectually lazy. That's what that means. Think. Think hard. Think truth. Think. Bill Harvey has a sign in his office. It's a one-word sign. It says, think. Amen to that, man. Think. Don't be fat and lazy intellectually. Prepare your minds for action. The, The original language literally says, gird up the loins of your mind. Now, that phrase is uncommon to us. It's unfamiliar to us. It's unintelligible to us. Why? Because we don't use that phrase. But in the East, in the Orient, Oriental East, that was common. They wore long robes. And whenever anybody was getting ready for some strenuous activity, whether it be fishing, like Peter was a fisherman. And when Peter would get ready to fish, pulling those nets, he would take those long garments. He would pull them up between his legs. He would wrap them around and he'd tie them and he'd tuck them into a belt, a leather belt. He was girding up his loins in order to do 
whatever it was, work, fish, run, whatever activity there was for him to do. Now, that doesn't make any sense to us. But, but a, culturally, a, a, a culturally similar phrase is this, roll up your sleeves and get to work. That kind of mindset is what Peter is saying here. Gird up the loins of your mind. Now, if I told you to go home and do that, you'll look at me like, well, how do I do that? Great question. What is the one piece of the armor of God that represents the truth? Is it the helmet? No. Is it the breastplate? No. Is it the sword? No. Is it the shoes? It's the what of truth? The belt of truth. Praise God for that. Why is it the belt of truth? Because God knows that we have to sink our minds. We have to cinch our minds to the belt of truth. If you're going to think truthfully and think rightfully, you have to use the Word of God. This has to be your foundation. This has to be the lens by which you view this world is through the Word. You gird up the loins of your mind. You prepare your mind for action by staying in the Word of God. Get into the Word until the Word gets into you. See, a conscious act. Obedience is a conscious act of the mind. Right? We're to love the Lord our God with all our minds. We're to have healthy, disciplined minds. Doubt your doubts. Question this world. Say why to the world. Have you noticed how morally confused our world is? Have you noticed this? Just the utter confusion. Man, how do we, how do we combat that? Stay in the Word. Gird up the loins of your mind by getting into the Word. And then he says this. Be sober-minded. All right? So prepare your minds for action. And being sober-minded. In other words, be clear-headed. Right? Don't, literally, it means don't get intoxicated. Don't, don't, and, and more so than wine and alcohol here. It's any form of spiritual drunkenness. Any form. Avoid it all. Any rashness, any confusion, any form of spiritual drunkenness, just stay away from it. In other words, take control of your mind. Right? Balance your priorities. Balance your life as such that you will not subject yourself to the corruption of this sinful world system and this corrupted flesh. Say, why to the world? We can't be like, as Paul writes in 2 Timothy, like Damas, who deserted Paul because he loved the world more than the Word. Don't love the world more than the one who's coming into the world. Right? Love Jesus who's coming into the world more than you love the world. Say why to the Word, or to the world. Here's why we need to say why to the world. I wrote down part of an article that I read. You've probably read this before. It's called The Paradox of Our Time. I took the abbreviated version, but you'll get the point. So here we go, the paradox of our time. This helps answer the question, why should I say why to the world? Listen to this. The paradox of our time in history is that we have taller buildings but shorter tempers, wider freeways but narrower viewpoints. We spend more but have less. We buy more but enjoy it less. We have bigger houses and smaller families, more conveniences but less Time. We have more degrees, but less sense, more knowledge, but less judgment, more experts, but more problems, more medicine, but less wellness. 
We drink too much, smoke too much, eat too much, spend too recklessly, laugh too little, drive too fast, get angry too quickly, stay up too late, get up too tired, read too random, watch TV too much, and pray too seldom. We have multiplied our possessions but reduced our values. We talk too much, love too little, and hate too often. We've learned how to make a living, but not a life. We've added years to life, but not life to years. We've been all the way to the moon and back, but have trouble crossing the street to meet the new neighbor. We've conquered outer space, but not inner space. We've done large things, but not better things. We've cleaned up the air, but polluted the soul. We've split the atom, but not our prejudice. We write more, but learn less. We plan more, but accomplish less. We've learned to rush, but not to wait. We have higher incomes, but lower morals. We have more food, but less appeasement. We're more connected, but have less communication. These are the times of fast foods and slow digestion, tall men and short character, steep profits and shallow relationships. These are the times of world peace, but domestic warfare. More leisure, but less fun. More kinds of food, but less nutrition. These are the days of two incomes, but more divorce. Fancier houses, but broken homes. These are the days of quick trips, disposable diapers, throwaway morality, one-night stands, overweight bodies, and pills that do everything from chill to kill. It's a time when there is much in the show window, but nothing in the stockroom. End quote. If we're going to be like Jesus, then we need to be like Jesus. And he often would teach with questions. He would often start a conversation with a question. Can you give me something to drink? He, he often would ask, why? To the world. Here's a second way or help that will help us be more like Jesus. We need to start saying, wow, to the word. We have lost the allness and awesomeness of the word. We need to get to a point where we say wow to the word. But here's what happens. Do you realize that all scriptures breathed out by God? Do you know this? Not just the parts you like, but all of it. But we look at the word and we say, well, I don't like that. And there's much in here I don't really like. We look at it and say, man, I don't like that. Why is that in there? We've got it backwards. We need to be saying, wow, that's in there. But here's what we do. We say, wow, to the world. We say, wow, to creation. And we say, why, to the creator and why, to his word. Believer, you've got to reverse that. You've got to say, why, to the world and why, to creation and wow to the Word, and wow to the Creator. Why would I want to worship something that's going to be burned up on the day of judgment? Creation's going to be burned up. But the Word of our God remains forever. Man, we got to get back to the place where we say wow to the Word and delight in God's Word. Here's how Peter says it. Look at verse 13. Set your hope fully. Set your confident assurance concerning the future. Set your confident assurance, not in part, but the whole. I mean completely, fully, perfectly. 
In other words, hang your hat of hope on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. In other words, put every, ba- every egg of your hope in one basket. Be all in with Jesus. Put it all in. Set your hope, fix your hope, focus your hope fully on the grace. Somebody say grace. Well, isn't that a good word to say? Grace. It means unmerited favor, undeserved, unearned. It means we get what we don't deserve. And I love how Peter paints this picture right here. He says this grace is being brought to you. Hey, grace is not bought by you. Grace is not sought by you. Grace is brought to you by the one who died for you. It's brought to us. We don't go get it. It's brought to us. That should make somebody say, wow, man, this grace is brought to me. Yes, God's graciousness towards us is seen in the person of Jesus who he sent. He gave his only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have everlasting life. That used to make me say, wow. I wonder if it still makes you say, wow. It should. We fix our hope on this grace. In other words, you you can think of it like this. Our hope, church, is exclusively, exclusively in God's graciousness towards us in the person of Jesus. Now, initially, it's a grace of justification. We're justified. We're we're made right in the eyes of God. How is that possible? Well, here's how it's possible. God no longer sees you. He sees Christ. He sees the blood of Jesus. He doesn't see you. And then you're sanctified. You grow up in this grace that's brought to you. Again, it's still being brought to you. And then at the revelation of Jesus Christ, that's the second coming. Oh, my soul. The fact that Jesus is coming again ought to make somebody say, wow. You mean he's coming back? Yes, he's coming back. In fact, let let me show you this. Take your Bible. Go right to the book of Revelation. I I want you to look at the very first words in the book of Revelation. How the book starts. You know how the book of Revelation starts? The very first few words. The revelation of Jesus Christ. Wow. That's the same phrase Peter uses over in 1 Peter 1. Uh, Verse number 13, the revelation of Jesus Christ. Same phrase. He's talking about the second coming. That's going to be grace brought to us when Jesus comes again. And Peter writes this as if it's already happening. It's It's a present participle. He writes it like this. Set your hope right now. Right now, church, right now, men, women, boys, and girls, right now, you set your hope fully on the fact that Jesus is coming again. Not you wait till he comes again and then set your hope on it. Of course not. Right now, today, you set your hope on the fact it's so sure, his coming is so sure, it's like it's happening right now. That ought to make somebody say, wow, to the Word of God. We've lost that, church. We need to get that back. We need to ask the Holy Spirit, because here's what happened. The world says things like this, love yourself, serve yourself, forgive yourself. But the Word says, love others, serve others, forgive others, right? 
So we can say that the world is fundamentally opposed to the Word. So as a believer, you're caught, right? You're in this world, but you're not supposed to be of it. Let let me give you an example of this. Uh, 500 years ago, uh, the year 1521, Martin Luther, the great reformer, stood before a holy Roman, the, the Holy Roman Emperor at the time, and he made this statement. He said, here I stand. Okay, now in 2013, almost 500 years later, Elsa, in a song called Let It Go, she also said, here I stand. Now, Tim Keller wrote on the differences between these exact same phrases, but how they're worlds apart. And here's what Tim Keller said. He said, Let It Go by Robert Lopez and Kristen Anderson. Lopez was sung in the Disney movie Frozen and won 2013 Oscar for Best Original Song. It is both interesting and ironic to compare the sung speech of the character Elsa in Frozen with that of Martin Luther before the Holy Roman Emperor. Both say the phrase, Here I Stand, Keller says, but Luther meant he was free from fear and from all authorities because he was bound by the authority of the Word of God and its norms. Elsa speaks for the contemporary culture. She speaks for the world when she says, here I stand, because she is saying that the only way she can be free is if there's no boundaries at all. Zero boundaries. In other words, here's what the world says. The the, the world uh, says we need to renounce boundaries. Uh, To the world, renouncing boundaries looks like freedom. But in reality, it's slavery. The Word, on the other hand, says embracing boundaries, embracing the authority and the bounds of Scripture, may look like slavery. Let me tell you, it's freedom. Oh, it's freedom. In fact... The only example of this, and I say only because he's the best example, is Jesus. I want you to think, I want you to tell me one time. I want you to tell me one time when Jesus, who was here on this earth for 33 years, you tell me one time when Jesus stepped outside of the boundaries of the authority of the Word of God. You tell me one time when he stepped outside of the Father's will. You can't tell me that. Jesus learned obedience through suffering. And we're to be obedient children. This is freeing. This sets us free. Think about it. Jesus was asked about marriage and divorce. He was asked about that. Well, what about divorce? What about marriage? You can read about it in Matthew 19. Now, did Jesus say to those experts in the law, did he say, well, you know, We really have to get with the times, don't we? Things are changing. We really need marriage equality, don't we? Is that what Jesus said? Did he present some equality act involving marriage? Let me tell you what, here's what Jesus said. And I quote, Have you not read that he who created them from the beginning made them male and female? And he said, Therefore a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife. And the two shall become one flesh. So they're no longer two, but one flesh. Jesus quoted Genesis 2. 
He went all the way back to the first wedding, the first marriage of Adam and Eve. But here's what the world says about marriage. The world says, wait a minute. We need to have marriage equality. We need the LGBTQ plus to be able to marry. So from a world's platform and perspective, that door's been opened. From the world's perspective, right? To to have marriage equality for all. But what happens when what happened this week, this past week, happens? I read an article this week, New York Post, dated April 17, 2021. The article was written about consensual incest advocates, a group advocating for consensual incest. An anonymous uh, New York parent who wants to marry their own adult child. Now the word says incest is wicked, it's evil, it's straight out of the pit of hell. That's what the word says. But the world can't say that. The world's platform has opened the door. And once you've opened the door for this group and that group to get married, you can't shut it for that group and this group to get married. It's open. So church, what does this mean for us? We've got to get to the place where we say why to the world and wow to the word. Here's another one. Jesus claims all through scripture to be God. He says, before Abraham was, I am. Peter said, you're the Christ, the son of the living God. Did Jesus say, nope, you're wrong, Peter. Let me correct you. No, he said, wow. Well, Jesus didn't say wow, but he said, hey, this was not revealed to you by flesh and blood. This was revealed to you by my Father in heaven. He he didn't deny. He claimed to be God. But here's what the world claims about Jesus' identity. Uh, Islam says Jesus was a true prophet, but he didn't die on the cross. Judaism says Jesus was a false prophet who rightly died. Buddhism says Jesus is an enlightened man who taught wisely. But the Word of God says Jesus is the anointed one, the chosen one. It says He's the Son of the living God, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. That He's come to save His people from their sins. This is what the Word says. That should make somebody say, wow. Man, say wow to the Word and why to the world. Number, Number three. Well, but before I get there, let, let, let me say this. I think this might help us. Elvis Presley, he, um, he, he often ate at a restaurant called Thompson Steakhouse in Tennessee. And he would eat there oftentimes for free, especially before he was famous. He was good friends with the owner. And once he was at the height of his fame, he went to this steakhouse. And on that night that he was there, They were having an Elvis impersonator contest. So Elvis decides he's going to enter the contest. So he sits in the back and, you know, he waits his turn. And then he gets up there and he sings Love Me Tender. And and there was polite applause, you know. He placed third. Third place. Elvis himself placed third in his own impersonator contest. Why? Well, apparently the judges had their own idea about who Elvis ought to be and what he ought to look like and what he ought to sound like. 
right? And we do the same thing. Our world does the same. And we do the same thing with Jesus. We have this idea of who Jesus ought to be. He ought to be my butler. Hey, Jesus is not your butler. He is the Lord of Lords and the King of Kings. Well, Jesus ought to give me my American dream. We have this westernized American dream Jesus who is a genie in a bottle. No, he's not. He is Lord of Lords and King of Kings. And we have to be careful. We, have, we cannot bring what we think Jesus ought to be and present that. In fact, we are called to show this world who Jesus is. This world is looking for Jesus lookalikes. They're looking for somebody who looks like Jesus. And that's you, church. Listen, if your label is Christian, but your life doesn't match it, either you need to change your label or God needs to change your life. One of the two has to happen, period. We have to get to this place where we say, why to the world and wow to the word. Here's the third help that has helped me this week. I pray it'll help you. It's in verse 14. Look at verse 14. As obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance. So this is how I word in number three. Say no to you. If you're going to be like Jesus, you're going to have to say no to yourself. You're <laughs> going to have to say no to you. That's not always easy, is it? Mm, it's not easy. Especially to say no to this flesh is not easy. But Peter calls us obedient children. And he's calling us to be what we're being called. No longer are you a son or daughter of disobedience. In Christ, you are now an obedient child. That means that your DNA, your, your very makeup of who you are is obedient. Now, does that mean that disobedience will never break through the obedience? Of course not. We're walking around in this flesh. Disobedience will rear its head from time to time. But your identity, who you are, is an obedient child of the living God. That's who you are. And so I love how he phrases this. Look what he, he doesn't say what to do. He says what not to do. If you're going to be an obedient child, this is what you're not to do. Don't be conformed to your former ignorance. You know, before you were saved... Right, Jesus said this on the cross, right? Father, forgive them for they know not what. They know not what they do. So on some level, you were ignorant when you were lost. You acted like a lost person. Did you not? Now, when you're saved, you no longer to act like a lost person. You're not to be conformed back to that former passions. You're to now act like a saved person. Not perfect, but forgiven. And you know you're forgiven. So now you know better. So you strive to be obedient to the Lord. Uh, yet, oh man, we have far too hard of a time saying no to ourselves. I, I came across this uh, headline, Five Sins Christians Are Totally Okay Committing. I want to run through these five. Now, I know we all have our pet sins, you know, that we like to not flee from but flirt with. We all have those. But these are five general sins that Christians in America are totally okay committing. Number one, shouldn't surprise you, it's gluttony. Gluttony. Now, this has more to do, I mean, certainly it involves food and drink and Overindulging, obviously. But at the heart of gluttony is a heart posture. 
of overindulgence. Here's another example of gluttony. You binge watch something on Netflix. Brothers and sisters, that, that is a sin. That's overindulgence. Binge, that's what the word means. Right? So we binge in this. We binge in that. If you've got enough time to binge and overindulge, you've got enough time to get into the Word of God. You flat out do. But gluttony is a sin we're perfectly okay with. There's a reason why Thanksgiving is one day. Our bodies can't handle that, man. We can't feast like that all the time. There's a reason. And we're totally okay committing this sin. In fact, I would say these five sins you've probably already committed today. And you're perfectly okay with it. Number two is lust. One third of all websites are pornographic. You probably know that. And again, lust does, obviously, what comes to mind is coveting someone's wife or uh, porno- pornography, certainly. But again, it's a heart posture. It's a heart posture of Taking. That's what lust is. Lust is, I have this desire to take. One has said it this way. Love gives. Lust takes. Okay? So if you've got just a heart posture of take, 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 this is a sin that's obviously that you are in the throes of. And oftentimes, we're totally okay with it. Number three is pride. Pride, arrogance. Thinking too highly of yourself. And here's what we do with this sin. Here's what we do. Uh, We call it, well, I just have a high self-esteem. Right? Having a high self-esteem. Who told you that? Man, the Bible says if you exalt yourself, you're going to be what? Humbled. And if you humble yourself, you'll be exalted. And here's what we do in the church. It's, it's a false humility, which is, which is pride, and it's probably its worst, worst sense. And this is why we walk around with this attitude of, of th- this is what we're, the sign we're giving off when we fall into this false humility. We walk around with this essence of, hey, look at me and see how not proud I am of me. Right? <laughs> look at me and see how not proud I am of me. False humility, pride, arrogance, consumes us. And the worst thing about pride, of all these five, the worst thing about pride is it doesn't even bother us anymore. Lust may bother us. Gluttony may bother us. Pride, you kidding me? It doesn't even bother us anymore. It's tragic. We injure our shoulder patting ourselves on the back, don't we? Uh, number four, anger. Anger is a sin we're totally okay committing. But Jesus said if you get angry with anybody, you've committed murder. Murder. We're totally okay with it. Idolatry is the fifth one. We may not have carved images all over our house, but man, we've got idols everywhere. Fashioned in our heart. It can be a person. It can be a possession. It can be a, um, a desire, some kind of success or career, or even education, whatever it is. I heard one say like this. If Jesus is the reason for life, don't worship a season of life. And we're guilty of all five of these. 
Every one of us is guilty of all five of these. And you know what's going to happen today during the invitation? I'm going to extend an invitation. You know what's going to happen? Absolutely nothing. You're going to get up. You're going to walk out of here like you do every week. Not repenting of these sins. You refuse to say no to yourself. And you wonder why you're not living the victorious life. And you're wondering why you don't look like Jesus. And here's, here, it doesn't even bother us, church. I'm just praying today that we would be bothered that these sins don't even bother us. That saying no to our, that our inability to say no to ourselves doesn't even bother. John Owen, I tell you what, if you want to deal with your sin, you need to go read John Owen. Puritan pastor from another day who was so bothered by the fact that sin did not bother the church that he wrote about the mortification of sin. And, and he has this famous quote. I'm paraphrasing it, but I've heard it quoted different ways. But basically, you better be killing sin or sin will be killing you. I mean, just dealing with, we don't, think, we don't think that way anymore. But Peter says, you better be. You better prepare your minds for action. You better set your hope on this grace. You better not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance. Hey, you're not ignorant anymore, church. We're not ignorant anymore. So if we're going to be like Jesus, we have to say no to ourselves. Number four, last one. If we're going to be like Jesus, we have to say yes to holiness. We have to say yes to holiness. Verse 15, he who has called you is holy, you also be holy. That word doesn't mean a holier than thou, floating over everybody with a halo over my head. It doesn't mean that. It means be different. Just be set apart. Man, live differently. Think differently. Let the Word of God be the lens that you see through and make decisions by as a family. And holiness is not a set of rules and regulations. Are there boundaries and rules and are they good? Yes, of course. But holiness is God Himself. That's what holiness is. And, and I love this. I mean, look at verse 15. I don't know if I love it, but I love it. I don't know if I like it. I'll say it like that. It says, be holy in all your conduct. Now, can I ask you what the word all means, somebody? <laughs> Is this just in here to take up space, or does it mean something? Yeah, it means something. In every department of your life, be holy. In every compartment and area of your heart, be holy. Man, that's a, wow, wow. Be holy in all your conduct. Since it's written, and he's quoting here from Leviticus, you shall be holy for I am holy. What is holy? Here's holiness. Let me give you a picture of holiness. It's God himself, but here's a way to think about it. God, when I wake up. God, when I eat breakfast. God, on the way to work. Boy, isn't that a good sweet time with the Lord on the way to work? 
God in the classroom, God in the workplace, God in the office, God in the factory, God at break time, God at lunchtime, God at supper time, God while watching TV, God while reading, God while on social media, God in every detail, God when I go to sleep, God in every word, God in every deed, God in every thought, God in private, God in public, God in faith, God in doubts, God in success, God in failures, God in my everyday life, God above me, God below me, God around me, God in me, God with me, God surrounding me, God with me always until the day that I go to be with Him. Just be like Jesus. How do I do that? Well, you got to say why to the world, wow to the word, no to self, and yes to holiness. See, God wants you to act like the author of life. He wants you to begin and end every day like the beginning and the end. In the beginning, God created. Begin your day that way. God, today you've created this day. God, today you've given me this day. So help me be a good steward of this day. End your day with this. Come, Lord Jesus, come. The revelation of Jesus Christ is how the Bible ends. That's how you need to end your day with this prayer. Come, Lord Jesus, come. Every day, begin and end like the beginning and the end. Carry yourself like the one who carried your cross. Be the double of the one who said, let not your hearts be troubled. I'm imitate the I am. Be like Jesus. Mimic the merciful God. Mirror the Messiah. Man, just be like him. Just be like the one who said, enter through the narrow gate. Or be like the one who said, follow me and I'll make you fishers of men. Or be like the one who, who was unrecognizable on the tree. Love like the one who first loved us. Live like the one who died but now is alive forevermore. Man, make known the maker of all things. Name the name that's above all names. Reflect the one who is our refuge. Take after the one who takes away the sins of the world. Just be like Jesus. Don't ask, what would Jesus do? Ask, what would Jesus have me do? Just be like Jesus. Father, we love you and we praise you for your holy word. It is convicting. It is alive. It is challenging. And God, there are some folks worshiping with us today online and in person who have some very particular sins that, that they have not dealt with. In fact, they're not even bothered by them. In fact, they may have even just forgotten about them and renamed them something else. But today, Holy Spirit, you have uh, brought them to the surface. And they need to deal with them. Now, ultimately, it's a heart posture of overindulgence or pride or taking, whatever that is, anger, whatever it is. Lord, I pray that your people would respond today and just get to these steps. And if nothing else, just say, Father, please bother me that these sins don't bother me. Let me be bothered. God, let us be bothered today. Let us be bothered by your word. I pray when we stand in a moment and people respond that they would indeed respond and repent and repent and repent. Turn from their sin. Confess it because you're faithful and you're just and you'll forgive us our sins. God, there's other folks in the room and at home that... that they can't say they're an obedient child of God because they don't belong to you. They've never been adopted into the family of God. They can't be holy as you're holy because 
They have no power to do that in and of themselves. But today you've revealed to them that Jesus loves them so much that he died in their place. That he was buried and raised to life on the third day. And your word said if they believe that in their heart and they confess with their mouth that Jesus is Lord and they call on the name of Jesus, they'll be saved. So God, I pray if that's a person in this place or at home, they'd pray a simple prayer like this. Believing in their heart, but they would pray, Father, I know I'm a sinner. My sin's been revealed to me today. My sin of unbelief. But today I'm ready to believe. Today I put my faith alone in Jesus as my Lord and Savior. Forgive me. Come into my life and save me in Jesus' name.